the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So, having been taught to live in expectation of Christ's return, the early Christians really couldn't understand why Jesus was taking so long. For 35 years, the church had been waiting, but Jesus hadn't come. And some of these people were beginning to wonder if he would ever come. Not only because of the severity of their trials and their desires for deliverance, but also keep in mind that there were false teachers who had come into the church teaching destructive heresies. One of those heresies was that they denied Christ would ever return. They didn't just say, hey, he hasn't come back and it's tough going through life. They said he's never coming back. There were those who made that claim in the first century, and there are plenty of people who make the same claim in this century. Mockers say, where is the evidence of his coming? If he hasn't come by now, he's not coming at all. Well, today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff begins his third message from 2 Peter chapter 3. He will be dealing with that topic today as we continue to study what Peter said about the return of Jesus Christ. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida since 1981. Now his clear expository messages are also available through this wonderful radio station each weekday. I remember how when I was young, very young, time seemed to pass unbearably slowly, especially as Christmas drew near. Now that I've grown up and experienced several decades of life, time seems to go a lot faster, too fast sometimes. It's a matter of perspective, isn't it? God has always existed. I wonder how he perceives time. Well, here's Pastor Steve to talk about that. We're speaking these days about the return of Christ, and I'd like you to open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. We continue our study of Peter's wonderful little letter, and I want to read to you verses 8 through 10, 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Peter writes, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. When Peter wrote these words, only 35 years had passed since Jesus ascended to be with the Father, and that's helpful to keep things in its historical context, because during those 35 years, difficult times had come upon God's people. Some of them had been ostracized by family members, by friends for believing in Jesus. Others had experienced direct persecution from the pagan Roman government, and many of these first-century first Christians were beginning to have a very difficult time understanding 
about having severe trials and heartaches in light of the fact that they thought Jesus would return very soon in their lifetime. And they couldn't understand why they were going through this, and yet he he still hadn't come back. See, the early church anticipated that Christ would return in their lifetime, and the reason they did this is because the New Testament writers wrote as if Jesus would return in their lifetime. They anticipated that he would come back during their lifetime. And let me just share some places with you that uh, that support this. If you turn back to to First um, Peter, the book just before Second Peter, in First Peter chapter four, verse seven, Peter says, "The end of all things is near." Therefore, be of sober judgment, sober spirit, for the purpose of prayer. He says, the end of all things is near. Certainly, Peter anticipated that it was very close. One book before that, James chapter 5, verse 7, James says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't complain, brethren against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. So so James is telling us, be patient. He's coming. He's standing right at the door. He's near. The writer to the Hebrews speaks about this. In Hebrews 10.37, he says, For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Even the apostle Paul looked for Christ to come in his lifetime. We know this because when he wrote to the Thessalonians about the rapture, he included himself among those who could be caught up in the air should he be alive at that time. He said in 1 Thessalonians 4.15, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. We meaning I expect to be a part of that generation. I'm, I'm hoping I will be. So having been taught to, to live in expectation of Christ's return, the early Christians really couldn't understand why Jesus was taking so long. For 35 years, the church had been waiting, but Jesus hadn't come. And some of these people were, would, were beginning to wonder if he would ever come, not only because of the, the severity of their trials and their desires for deliverance, but also keep in mind that there were false teachers who had come into the church, and these false teachers, as we have been studying, you know, that's the background of Second Peter, false teachers in the church teaching destructive heresies. One of those heresies was that uh, they denied Christ would ever return. They didn't just say, hey, he's, he hasn't come back, and uh, it's tough going through life. They said he's never coming back. In fact, they took it a step further, as you know, and they mocked, they scoffed, they ridiculed the return of Christ. And they were filling the believers' minds, these false teachers, apostates, filling believers' minds with doubts about it. That's what Peter tells us, in, and we've seen this in recent weeks. Second Peter 3 and 4, know this, first of all, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it were from the beginning of creation. So Peter informs us that they were mocking the return of Christ, basing their argument on what they thought was a fact that God has never interrupted human history. He's never brought a a catastrophic event before. Everything just continues in an orderly fashion. 
And therefore, uh, how can we say, they, they said, that Christ is coming back because there'll never be a catastrophic event at the end of time if there's never been one before that. Now, Peter refutes that argument, and that's what we studied last week. He absolutely refutes it. But before he does that, I want you to look again at verse 3. The end of verse 3 tells us the reason they had a problem with the return of Christ is not because uh, Jesus never spoke of it and not because the apostles didn't teach it, but they had another agenda. And so he says the last phrase of verse 3 is following after their own lusts. That's very, very important because, you see, this reveals that their problem with the return of Christ was not based on sound theology wasn't based on any theology. They wanted to live according to their lusts, their immorality, and therefore they rejected the return of Christ because they wanted to pursue impure sexual pleasures without the consequences of facing divine retribution. Remember, when Jesus comes again, he's coming again in judgment. At least that's a major part of, of what he will do when he comes Again, and so these men said, we don't believe in the second coming of Christ. We want to dismiss any thought of judgment and live our lives any way we please without the thought that there will be consequences for our sin. So instead of, of just being honest and admitting we've got a lust problem, we're going to live any way we want, we're going to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, that's all there is. Instead, what they did is they came up with this theology that was really shaped by their lusts. Their lust determined their theology. And so they came up with that philosophical argument. And in verses 5 through 7, which we saw last week, Peter refutes it. And basically what he says to sum up everything is that you're wrong. God has broken into human history. And, and two examples that he gives, actually he's done it many more times than two, but two examples that he gives is, is creation. God broke in and actually started human history by creation. And then secondly, the flood of Noah's day in which God did bring upon the earth a cataclysmic event in which he destroyed everybody on the planet except Noah and his family. So God did break in. He changed the natural order of events. And if he did it in the past, Peter says he will certainly do it in the future. Only this time he will do it not by a flood, but by fire. That's verses 5 through 7. So Peter has effectively answered the argument set forth by the scoffers. However, the scoffers had left a nagging question in the minds of these believers. Wouldn't go away. Even though Peter refuted the argument about the coming judgment, still they had some doubts. And basically, the doubts were like this. If Jesus is really coming again, then why hasn't he returned yet? Why? We've been waiting for 35 years and he still isn't back. How come he's waiting so long? Why is he so slow in returning? And that's the basic question that Peter addresses and answers in verses 8 through 10. Why Jesus hasn't returned yet. Is that relevant for us? Absolutely. Ab absolutely. I, I feel almost embarrassed saying it's so relevant because we haven't been waiting for 35 years. The church has now been waiting for 2,000 years. And you and I, who believe in the Bible and the promise of, of Christ's return to this earth, have to, if we're honest, we have to, to really wonder what's taking the, the Lord so long. Why has it been so long? Why have we had to wait all of these years? For some, 
They feel like this waiting has gone on so long, generation after generation of Christians, that uh, actually uh, they just stopped waiting. Oh, it may be part of their theology, but it's not a part of the way they live. It's not a part of the way they think. And maybe you've been like that. There are believers like that. For some, the doctrine of the, the rapture and the second coming of Christ is completely irrelevant. It's unrelated to, to life today. And so once you get that mindset, unlike the early church, which, which properly lived in an expectation that he could come at any moment, we've lost that. We've lost that. In addition to that, in addition to our own troubling doubts and questions about Christ's apparent slowness in returning, there are some modern scoffers, some modern skeptics who have increased our doubts. They've added really fuel to the fire with their skepticism. And what they're telling us is, is that the reason Jesus hasn't come back yet is because he's never coming back. They say you've believed a hoax, that Christians have been naive all these years to have ever believed in the first place that he was coming back. In fact, I have a, a quote from a modern-day mocker who's part of some organization of uh, saying that the Bible has errors. I didn't even know there was an organization on that, but there is. And here's what he said. Paul himself showed that he was among those who awaited the imminent return of Christ. Yet, as the history of that era clearly shows, all was for naught. No Messiah appeared. The New Testament repeatedly says the Messiah was to return in a very short time. Yet mankind has waited for nearly 2,000 years and nothing has occurred. By no stretch of the imagination can it be considered coming quickly. It is indeed unfortunate that millions of people still cling to the forlorn hope that somehow a Messiah will arise to extract them from their predicament. How many years? 2,000, he asked, 10,000, 100,000 will it take for them to finally say, we can only conclude that we are the victims of a cruel hoax. End of quote. 2,000 years is certainly a long time for us, isn't it? But as we have seen from Second Peter chapter 3, it's not long at all for the eternal God. Pastor Steve will be right back with biblical answers to the troubling questions he just told us about. But first, we would like to greet those of you who have just tuned in. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our Verse by Verse radio Bible class today is the first part of a three-part message concerning the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's part of a series of six messages from 2 Peter chapter 3. If you would like to follow along in your Bible, turn now to 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 8 as Pastor Steve brings us the second half of today's lesson. So, how do we answer these troubling doubts and these concerns about the longevity with which the church has been waiting for her Lord to return? Well, that's what Peter does for us. We just have to try to understand what he has written down in verses, specifically verses 8 and 9, in response to what was obviously the question on the minds of these readers. Peter presents two truths about God, two truths about God's character and nature that explain why Christ hasn't returned yet. I would encourage you to write this down. That's what we're going to look at this morning. In answer to the question that was on the hearts and minds of his readers, and that should be on our minds, at least at some time, why hasn't Jesus returned? Peter tells us two reasons, two truths about God that help to explain. Number one, God's view of time is different than ours. People get hung up about time. Peter says, let me explain to you how God sees time. Verse eight, 
But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. Notice he's writing to the believers now in a very tender way that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. After stating in verse five, you can look at it. He states that those who mock Christ's second return have deliberately and willfully ignored biblical truth. Peter wants to make sure that we as believers are not ignorant about biblical truth, specifically one truth about God. And what is that truth? It's this man's perception of time and God's perception of time are completely different, completely different with God. Peter tells us one day is like a thousand years in the sense that what it takes uh, man to accomplish in a thousand years, God may do in just one day. Likewise, God may take a thousand years to do what man thinks should be done in one day. What Peter is teaching is that God understands time much differently than we do. He doesn't look at time the same way. Why? Because God is eternal. Eternal. He created time. He has neither beginning nor ending. God exists above and apart from time, and he sees time against the backdrop of eternity. What seems like a long time to us is just like a day to him. Now, we don't want to misunderstand what Peter is teaching here. There are some who have. They have they have misinterpreted this. They have misapplied it. So let me just tell you some things you want to be cautious of. There are some who have read this and said, aha, uh-huh. this means then as you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, that what we have all always been taught that God created the heavens and the earth in six literal days. That's not six literal days. It's 6,000 years. If a day is a thousand years, then it must be 6,000 years. No, no, no. That's not what Peter is teaching at all. Notice the text again. Notice verse eight. He says, don't let this one fact escape your notice that with the Lord one day, he doesn't say is a thousand years. One day is like a thousand years. He didn't say it is a thousand. He, he, he said it's like that. It's just just a comparison. He could have very easily have said it's like a million years. That's not his point. He's not trying to interpret Genesis 1 and 2 for us. No, they were six literal days, not 6,000 years. This also doesn't mean, as as some have thought, that uh, time has no meaning to God. Since God is out of time, some have concluded, well, time has, has no meaning. It has no meaning to God. Time, since he's out of it. But that wouldn't be true. That wouldn't be true because God works in time and history. God works in time and history. In fact, Galatians 4, 4, speaking of the birth of Christ, says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. God works in history. God works in time. He is outside of time, but he works in time. Jesus was born right on schedule. Not a moment too soon, not a moment late. God is never late. God is never tardy. God has a schedule. It's not the same as we think. It's God's schedule. Peter's point is this, that since God is above and beyond time, we need to understand that we cannot confine him to our time schedules. God just doesn't experience time like we do. Therefore, to say that Christ's second coming is taking too long because it's, it's been 2,000 years is completely inaccurate. To God who views a thousand days as if they were but one day, it's as if he made the promise of Christ's return just a couple of days ago, just the day before yesterday. 
he told us he'd come back. See, because we are creatures who are limited by time. That's our frame of reference. We think, because of that, that 2,000 years is a long time, but, but to the eternal God who has no beginning and no end, and we can't even fathom that, 2,000 years is just a brief, brief moment on the eternal chart. That's what Peter's telling us. We don't see things like God sees things, especially in time. Now, in light of this truth, in light of this truth, it is always important for us to keep in mind that God is not limited by our time schedule in order to fulfill his purposes. As I said, he is never late. He's never tardy. He's never off schedule. Throughout John's gospel, I just want to illustrate this to you. Throughout John's gospel, let me just back up for a moment and say John's gospel was written to present Jesus as the sovereign God. Every gospel writer had his own purpose and unique message in mind. John's purpose is to tell us that Jesus Christ is God. He is the sovereign one. And throughout the gospel of John, John constantly presents the Lord as being the sovereign one who's actually in control of all the circumstances of his own death. He's actually orchestrating it. He is not the victim. He is the victor. And one of the things you see as you go through John's gospel is there is a, a reoccurring phrase. Uh, Jesus makes several references to the divine scheduling of the precise time of his death. He'll say his hour has not yet come or his time has not yet come. And I want you to see this. Go back with me, starting at John chapter 7. There are other places, but we'll just break in at John chapter 7. And I want you to see that God works in time, that the birth of Christ was on schedule, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, but the death of Christ was exactly on schedule as well. John 7, beginning at verse 30. So they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hands on him, because his hour had not yet come. John says they, they wanted to seize him, they wanted to kill him then, but it wouldn't happen. Couldn't happen because his hour had not yet come. There was an hour destined by God. Chapter 8, verse 20. Same thought. Chapter 8, verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury, meaning Jesus, as, as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. God wouldn't let it happen. He had a schedule. Chapter 12, verse 23. I just want you to see this is a reoccurring thing. It's not an isolated truth that he is presented as totally in charge of time. John chapter 12, verse 23. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. This is just after one of his disciples said, there are some Greek people here who uh, who want to speak to you. And Jesus understood that it, it, it was symbolic, speaking of, of Gentiles are going to be coming into the faith soon. And now he said, I understand that my time has come. It's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. It isn't just a Jewish message. It's going to be reaching out to the, the Greek world as well. In verse 27, the same thing. He says to the Father, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour this specific time. He says it in John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the, the feast of Pass, uh, Passover, Jesus, knowing that uh, his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knew that, that the time had come. And there are other references, but we'll, we'll stop there. Since our time is rapidly drawing to a close, we'll have to wait until our next class before Pastor Steve can put this together for us. 
We can clearly see that God operates within time. You might say that He invades time in order to accomplish His plans. But what do we do with that knowledge? How should it affect our thinking about Him and about the things we so eagerly await? Well, perhaps you have been praying for years for a loved one and you've not seen any results. Perhaps you have been out of a job for far longer than you think is reasonable. Whatever it is that seems overdue, if God wants it to happen, it will happen according to His schedule, not ours. We are glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse. It's a daily Bible class of the air led by Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida since 1981. His expository, or verse-by-verse messages, are made available to you through this radio station by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the gifts and prayers of interested listeners who have first been faithful to their own local church. If you would like to hear today's broadcast again, it is available at our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can download it for later or listen online. That's versebyverseradio.org. Today's class was the first part of a three-part message. To hear the entire message at one time, you can order an audio CD. You can call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-441-1714. It's been 2,000 years, and we are still waiting for Jesus to return. If He's coming, why is it taking so long? Join us for our next verse-by-verse for the answer to that question and much more. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.